They just came on now. Let's try to get closer to the stage. Sorry. Excuse me. Do you want to go on my shoulders? Yeah, that'd be unreal. Thanks. Wow. Three celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.ie forward slash music. And that is how the 100th episode of Bantering the Blue Shirts begins. Not with a bang, nor a whimper, but a second of silence. Just that's a... Good. That's a good start. Just a... a a literal second of silence. So, have we ever recorded this early, Joe? This is weird. I don't think we have. Uh, I'm try- actually, yes, we did. To inter- actually, ironically enough, with the coaching, um, with the coaching decisions that just came down, we recorded this early on a Sunday to speak to Jake Reiser about David Quinn. Oh, okay. That's correct. We talked some David Quinn, and uh, yeah, that was lovely. So we did that. But yeah, this is, uh, you know, Mike and I just taking it up to the next level. We're looking for ways to excite you guys. We're looking for ways to uh, to really drive home the fact that we have done 100 of these. 100. That's so, so many podcasts. And uh, we're coming up on a pretty big milestone on this podcast as well, but I'm not gonna not gonna spoil the surprise on that one. Instead, because you're here, because of Blue Shirt Banter, I will give a hearty thank you to all of you who, over the past well seven years since I've been in charge, but um, ten years period, have embraced and supported Blue Shirt Banter, who recorded our 50 millionth page view on Monday. How crazy is that? It's a lot of page views. It's, it's a lot, lot of, of it's a lot of views of pages for sure. It's a lot of clickities. Clicky clicks. Imagine how many times you need to click the refresh button to get there. Hoof. Hoof. That is insane. So thank you. Honestly, I wrote a little little article about it. I thanked everybody, all the current staff. Mike specifically got a shout out because I truly mean this when I say seventy five percent of the things that you love about Blue Shirt Banter would not happen without Mike nudging me to do them <laughs> behind the scenes literally every single day. This podcast only exists because Mike forced me to do it. Also I'm responsible for sixty eight percent of the things you really hate. No, no. Seventy five percent of the things you love, maybe five percent of the things you hate, since there are definitely people who hate listen to our boring podcast. Um, as those they don't like idiots silly. say they don't like silliness, Joe. No, they don't like silly well, they like some kind of silly. They like just droning stories and not talking about hockey, which is fine. Listen to each their own. Um yeah, 50 million page views. So that's a lot. The podcast is on its 100th episode. We're closing in on another milestone that you'll hear about. I have a funny feeling before the year is up. Um, and yeah, just it's all coming at the right time. It's the middle of July. We're really getting to the dog days of summer. It doesn't look like much is going to be happening for the next week or so. So we just continue walking down this path of uh, of boringness. But we're still here. Trekking away, there's a few things that happened. Our timing today was very good to do the podcast because the New York Rangers, Michael, the New York Rangers have made some decisions. Decisions were made. Um, there's new guys we, uh, in suits. Should we new start with the, the semi-negative? 
The semi-negative, sure. The, the semi-negative? Is that, uh, you know, Lindy Ruff is still going to be around? Well, I don't know. The, the We don't know a whole bunch about the eye in the sky role um, in terms of, you know, the influence on the team and everything. I, I don't hate... There's a couple things to keep in mind. Was that Ruff was the latest addition to Vino's coaching staff. So, you know, he was not really a you know a significant part of that team um he was however uh you know i believe he was the in charge of the d right ruff was yes in charge of the d um although we all know how that went but how in charge was he yeah and you know that's there's a lot of uh nuance to coaching rules and and what coaches do um and what the dynamic of that of a group or in that room would be, you know, when coaches have their conferences and talk about game plans and stuff. But, um, you know, when you, when you look at rough still being around, especially in conjunction to, uh, the, the new, the two new assistant coaches, Joe, but we'll get to that in a minute. It's, he's the guy, he just has, you know, a true abundance of, NHL experience you know he's been behind NHL benches for a couple decades now and I don't hate the idea of a guy like that being a part of a coaching staff that has a very limited amount of NHL experience I don't think it's completely necessary but I don't dislike the idea in principle my my biggest kind of concern or uh you know bugaboo with this is wondering you know what What's going to go on specifically with how much of a voice Lindy Ruff has? Um, just because, like, I wasn't a huge fan of of him signing, you know, in the first place. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something worth worth raising an eyebrow over. I, I don't, like I said, I don't hate this. I don't feel strongly either way because who really knows what kind of influence he has in the eye in the sky role, but. It's also worth saying that, you know, will he still be here in two or three years? I, I kind of doubt it, but we'll have to see what happens. I, I have no real issues with the eye in the sky roll, if that's even what Ruff is going to be. By all, I mean, from everything we're seeing, nobody's confirmed or denied anything. His, his future with the Rangers, while assured that he will be here, um, is still murky at best. It appears that the eye in the sky role is really the only thing that makes sense, but I don't see any reason why that's an issue. Listen, Ruff is a very experienced coach. He was someone who was put in a position really to fail last year. I mean, Lindy Ruff was never really known for the defensive abilities of his coaching style, and even when he was with Dallas as the head coach and, and doing good things with Dallas, the defense was never exactly a... Uh, it was just never really a, a, I guess, positive talking point, if you will. Yeah, so Darian Hatcher and I don't know what else you know. Zubov right, and, I mean to have to oh, put no, him in a Zubov. position where you know hey, I mean. the the defense has been a disaster. Um, Ulf Samuelson, who by all accounts was a, a forward-thinking coach, was not given the reins or the power to fix it. Ended up getting moved to a different position within the team. Um, who knows how much power AV had over those decisions even just a couple of years ago, but the reality of the situation is he could have use as a guy who's an eye in the sky. 
Um, somebody who maybe can work with some of the more offensive players, maybe give another look at the power play, somebody who can kind of step in and give just a different perspective. And I also think he's there to kind of help Quinn make this transition into an NHL head coach because it's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. You can't just step from the the bench of BU into the bench of MSG and think it's all going to be the same. He could definitely use some of that help. So uh, I'm here for it. I'm not, listen, negative Joe and negative Mike. Everybody complains that we were so negative. I don't really have any negativity about the decisions that the Rangers have made this summer. I can't say that bringing McLeod back, who we'll talk about, makes any sense whatsoever. But in the grand scheme of things, we've maintained that what the Rangers do from a player perspective the next two years doesn't matter so long as the contracts end the next two years. But from a coaching standpoint, if the Rangers are giving Ruff an opportunity to just kind of hang out and see what goes on, if this is a courtesy where... Um, he has some emotional ties to the Humboldt bus crash, and he does. Or if Glenn Sather just doesn't want this to be the way that Ruff goes out with how terrible last year went, which is also totally possible, fine. But if he's not sitting behind the bench every day, and it doesn't seem like he will, I, I don't I don't have an issue with where the Rangers stand and, and what they've done. So big old positive for the 100th episode. Positive podcast, Michael. This is a positive, positive podcast. By the way, I, I, I goofed. I forgot he was only in Dallas like a little while compared to many, many, many years in Buffalo. And I don't know, you know, during his tenure, if Buffalo ever really had an exceptional D. But yeah, it's a whole other thing. I just wanted to clear that up. The exceptional D. I wanted to talk um, about Darian Hatcher and Sergei Zubov for no reason. You got to say what you wanted to. Now, the things that the coaching decisions that were made that we will be noticing Greg Brown, who I goofed and thought was the assistant coach at BU. He is not, he was the assistant coach at BC. Um, and David Oliver, who is really was one of the main driving forces in player development for Colorado have both joined the New York Rangers. I don't have a ton of information about either of them. I know a little bit more about Brown simply because he was sort of in the, just those circles of NCAA coaches who people were talking we about. Read. Oh, is it from Chris Peters? Yes. Oh, it's my tweet too. You want to read it? Yes. All right. Before Mike reads the tweet, Chris Peters is a uh, NFL draft and prospects analysis for analysts. Did you analysts. say NFL? Yeah, no, NHL draft. God damn it, Joe. And a prospect episode. analyst. I said NHL. We'll let the listeners decide. For ESPN, we will. We'll roll back the tape. I think Ryan Lindgren is the best prospect in the Rangers system. I went back to the thing that you said. It wasn't the right thing. Sorry. Um, anyway, Chris Peters also is very familiar with the United States uh, developmental team and a lot of college hockey knowledge with him. And he said, Michael? Greg Brown is probably one of the best tacticians among college assistant coaches. Also was on staff for three U.S. national junior teams, including the gold medal squad in 2017, two-time U.S. Olympian as a player, too, in 1988-1992. I also want to point out... Well, that's the end of the quote. I know, but, you know, that's... Uh, God damn you. God. I just I want to make sure that you're not plagiarizing things. I want to pour hot molasses on your face. Um, molasses. Do you? I've never had molasses. Uh, um, it, at Boston it, College, he was... An associate head coach. So, you know, an associate coach 
carries a lot more responsibilities than an assistant coach. So this isn't just like, you know, a guy, you know, from a Boston, you know, collegiate Boston network, you know, that has a connection to Quinn. This is also, you know, clearly a guy who is, has the experience with, you know, young players in, you know, the United States national development team, which is a big plus. Uh, he's had success there. He's 50, uh, no, no NHL experience really to speak of, uh, in terms of coaching, but, you know, he was a journeyman in the NHL, uh, you know, bounced around a bunch in, in and out of the AHL and then over in Europe for really like the last half of his career. But, you know, from all accounts, this is an X's and O's guy, which is something we all really wanted to see Quinn have on his staff. Um, but we, what's also interesting, Joe, is because David Oliver is a former forward and Brown is himself a former defenseman, we can kind of naturally assume that, you know, those will be their general roles, you know, the forward and the D. Um, and that's noteworthy uh, because Quinn, as we know, is kind of kind of a specialist in regards to developing uh, defenders. Like he's he has a great mind for the defensive side of the game. You know, it's also kind of ties into what we were talking about with Ruff. So there's a lot of good brains uh, in terms of developing D, which is I think pretty significant when you consider just how much young D this team has also, you know, just for something I'm sure we'll be talking about as the off season continues, Joe, is how many, how kind of crowded that blue line looks now that a couple of these guys have resigned, you know, resigned, which, you know, we'll get to later, but yeah, I, I really, really like Greg Brown signing. Um, I honestly just don't know enough about, uh, David Oliver to, to speak in terms of, you know, with any, any confidence about how I feel about that one. Uh, but he does have, you know, the, the connection to uh, Quinn with Lake Erie uh, when, the, when they're on the same coaching staff there. And he's a former Rangers player. So we'll, we'll hear about that on every MSG broadcast ever, even though I think, I think he played 14 games for the Rangers in 96-97. Two goals and an assist, Joe. Those those are two goals and an assist more than we had with the Rangers or in professional hockey at all. Wow, um, you're not negative. Look at you. You're t- you're being happy. Po- Joe. It's a positive podcast. Turning positive. over a new leaf, my friend. Positive. The the thing that I want to mention with Brown specifically, and and quotes from that from Chris Peters, just like ooh, it just warms warms you up. Gives you gives you some of that hope you're looking for. Is that one of the biggest negatives to the David Quinn hiring was the fact that everybody said from Jake Reiser to Jeff Cox to everybody that we talked about either on this podcast or on Blue Shirt Banter in general who gave us information about Quinn. It was that we needed to see an X's and O's guys come to the team because that's not a strong suit of Quinn's game. And to get somebody who's widely considered one of the best tacticians among college coaches it just it's exactly what the rangers need quinn isn't going with somebody from his own bench which i i sent out a tweet there was speculation at one point that quinn was going to bring one of his assistant coaches and i read the press release quickly and thought it was so i apologize i left the tweet up hand up i left the tweet up i made a mistake i apologize um 
But to go to BC, who has been tactically, I think, one of the best teams in the NCAA, I mean, who honestly, it's BC, it's North Dakota, um, Minnesota to an extent, these teams that just look like professional hockey teams. It's not this run-and-gun, you know, hockey style. Even I'll throw my own Quinnipiac Bobcats in there, although not certainly not at that level. Uh, it's... It, to see somebody like him come in who can help kind of monitor the power play, monitor the penalty kill, make sure that the 5v5 systems work, and just take a little bit more pressure off of Quinn to do his thing that works, especially these first few years when it's all about player development, you, you need to be thrilled with the prospect of having somebody there. And it just continues to show, and I think Adam brought this up on Twitter, the Rangers could have very much so gone in the direction of another retreat head coach and who was out of a job and just hire him as an assistant or try to get another assistant from another team who maybe wasn't working out or whatever it is. They didn't. They went totally off the board. They got a guy from BC. David Oliver, again, like Mike, I don't know a ton of him. But what I do know is that he was a key developer in the players that came up through Colorado. 2014-15, he's been the director of player development in Colorado. As bad as Colorado may have been, they churned out good young talent. They really did. So, I mean, there has to be something there. You know what I mean? There there has to be – you don't just – have good prospects and do good things without having somebody behind the bench, uh, excuse me, behind the scenes who is uh, kind of pinpointing those players and helping develop them. So it just kind of fits the mold of what the Rangers are talking about. Their player personnel and development of players is pinnacle to what they're trying to do. They bring in two guys who can, A, help in that regard in, in terms of Quinn and Oliver. I'm not saying Brown can't. I'm just saying that Brown seems to be more of the guy who's going to help with the X's and O's on the ice. And But he also has plenty of experience. Oh, absolutely. 100%. And listen, I'm, I'm a big believer in the idea of a college coach being better at player personnel than an, NA, an NHL coach. I almost said NFL there, so maybe I did before. Maybe you put it in my head. I don't know. Um, because you're turning talent over at least every two years in the NCAA. You get a freshman who comes in, um, somebody like Clayton Keller, for example, plays a year or two, or Brady Tuchuk, or whoever it may be, comes out, Kevin Chattenkirk, you know, guys who finish all four years who are very clearly NHL-bound players like Kevin Hayes are sort of the rarity these days. And you have to recoup and refill the holes that they leave when they leave. And you need to learn how to develop players because you're not focusing on, oh, that guy's going to be around for the next six years. We'll build around the defense. You know, you have to build around new players. And yet, so that fresh mentality of keeping it fresh, coming back, making sure that you're getting all these players and these prospects ready, regardless of how old they are. And that was something David Quinn was very good at. It's something that I think is going to play a pretty big role here for the New York Rangers. So... I don't have a negative thing to say about the decisions that the Rangers have made, and I'm I'm assuming you're on the same on the same page with me. Yeah, I, I like I like this a lot just because how often this past year and really since we've been doing the podcast have we talked about how costly it is to not develop your own players, both in the short term and the long term. the The amount of times the Rangers have had to address holes in the lineup by going into free agency or by trading away futures for a guy who can hopefully plug that hole. And, you know, it got the Rangers as far as it did, but, you know, it's kind of an unsustainable model, right? You can't continue to 
empty the cupboards and leave nothing for the future and continue to go for it over and over again. And so this idea of a rebuild, I love that it looks like it's starting behind the bench in many ways, that you're committing to these guys who work with young guys. It's a, it's a very, you know, even if, even if these coaches don't necessarily work out, the philosophy here is it checks off. It, it's, it's a good start. You know, it feels like this is, you know, it's great that we didn't see a retread. It was, like you said, and, you know, as Adam said, it's, it would have been so easy for the Rangers to kind of bring in another, another kind of old familiar face. And in the NHL, if you look really closely at uh, coaching history, um, you'll see that coaches just kind of get recycled. Uh, it happens all the time. And, you know, when we look at coaching candidates, we often look at, you know, the, the network, you know, guys who they've worked with in the past, guys who they have personal connections to, because that also happens. You know, we we saw that happen uh, with Tortorella when he was here, and we saw that happen with uh, Vigneault, is, you know, all these coaches kind of have, quote-unquote, their guys that they work with, and, you know, then we we see kind of the same faces. They just kind of change teams, just like players do. So the fact that we have some new faces here is is really interesting to me. I like I like that this is the direction the team is going in. It's the direction that they said they were going to go in, and then they actually did, which is nice because the, the actually part is the difficult part um, in that the Rangers say a lot of things, and then they don't really do those things. So to see them follow through with the, I mean, let's put it this way. Um, back when the Rangers sold everything off in February, there was this promise to the fans, right, that we're going to move forward with this. We're going to develop players. This is what we want to focus on. This is everything that we want to do. And we were all like, yeah, okay, we'll see it. You know, we'll see what happens when it happens. And James Dolan goes on. He talks to the New York Post. He talks about how developing players is key in the new coaching search. And the Rangers are becoming more analytically inclined and all this stuff. And we're like, oh, you know what? That's a little bit different, right? You don't normally hear stuff like that from the owner. Um, David Quinn's hiring backs that up. The decisions the Rangers have made with their restricted free agents and with trades and, and the way that they handled the draft backs that up. Um, now the the assistant coaches backs that up. I mean, at this point, I think we're just waiting to finally get some form of preseason hockey going so that we could see Quinn in action. But, um, God, there's no reason not – the Rangers are not going to be good next year. I keep saying that. People keep telling me no. I think the Rangers are going to be a 70 to 80-point team next year. Um Depending on what happens with the forward group, and I guess we can, well, we, there's nothing really new that's happened with Spooner or anybody. I don't think any contracts outside of McLeod have been signed. Um, well, yeah, we can the little guys, but yeah, I brought up the the list of signings. So, you know, in, in terms of recent signings, we have McLeod on July 12th. Also on July 12th was Boo Nieves, um, and all these contracts, by the yeah, way, are John for, Gilmore for, for one year. We have Rob O'Gara. We have Chris Begris, who is currently um, listed on, uh, you know, cap friendly is unconfirmed, as is Gilmore, but those were both tweeted out by the Rangers as having been signed. So, you know, they're official, just a question of what exactly is the, the dollar amount. And, you know, as we know, it doesn't really matter for those guys. Um, and that leaves, Joe, just kind of the big the big ones, the, the big question mark RFAs. You know, it's it's Kevin Hayes, it's Jimmy Vesey, it's Brady Shea, and it's Spooner. It's what happens with those guys. And, 
Uh, you know, we know their arbitration dates. You know, there's nothing, no reason to start sweating until, you know, really late July. You know, this is July 17th, so nothing nothing to get too worked up about just yet. But uh, it is, it is kind of, you start to see that there's a bit of a, a bit of a process here, like kind of in your head you can visualize the checklist that uh that gorton has and how he's moving down it you know getting the guys he has to get out of the way done and you know the easy stuff a lot of these guys are just taking their qualifying offers and yeah i don't know it's it's gonna be it's there's so much that depends and hinges on what happens with the decision on kevin hayes and spooner in particular um but we kind of touched a lot on spooner last week in terms of you know just let him let him get his arbitration one year deal and if that's if that's like the worst case scenario it still works really well into the idea of moving him right so nothing to worry about there but kevin hayes is another animal entirely as is brady shea um and we've heard this is they see it all the time on the twitters joe on the rangers twitter is folks don't know what to make of Brady Shea? It, it's go. We've talked about it a lot on the show already, but uh, he's becoming a pretty polarizing player in terms of what people think he is now and what his ceiling is. And I think that you know he's his ceiling is a second a second pair D, and what he is right now is a second pair D. But he's probably not going to be in that role next season. He's probably on pair one with with. Kevin Shattenkirk, but we'll see what happens. There's nothing we can say about Shea that we kind of didn't say last week either because you, you have to take the risk eventually, and there's really no risk with signing Shea long-term. The risk would be giving him a two-year bridge deal now to save money now and turning around and then having to sign him in two years if he you know erupts. And if he doesn't erupt, you're going to pay him what you were going to pay him anyway. So it is what it is at that point. Shea is going to be worth the same amount of money in two years at worst as he will be today if you sign him to that long-term deal. And the only thing he can become is more expensive. So that's it is what it is uh, from that front where I think the Rangers, you know, you didn't mention VC who um, I I think is definitely on the lesser end of the importance when it comes to RFAs. Uh, My gut is telling me he's going to get a bridge deal. Um, And that just leaves the big guys, which is Hayes and Shea, because right now Spooner to me is a mental footnote because until I hear something different, he's going to arbitration and he'll get a one-year deal and that'll be the end of it. And that'll be exactly the Rangers will trade him at the trade deadline to a team looking to add some pop for the playoffs. And that's the end of that. Some pop. Um, a little bit of pop, a little bit of soda pop, that's all. So I, I just, I find it, it's interesting that the longer the Rangers wait on this kind of stuff, uh, the more evidence comes in that Kevin Hayes and his his people are just looking at and saying, uh, we're going to get more money because Henrique just signed a very big contract with the Anaheim Ducks. And, you know... Hayes has, if you project out the numbers, Hayes a little bit younger. He's got a better total package than Adam Henrique does. And Henrique got a five-year, $29 million extension. So I kind of feel like that's going to be the neighborhood. Excuse me. I kind of feel like that's going to be the neighborhood of a Kevin Hayes extension. And, you know, I'm not saying that single contract is why Hayes is going to be expensive. But 
Again, it's just it makes it a lot easier when you take care of your business early and you don't let other teams kind of set the tone because crazy money is getting thrown around. You look at some of the RFA or the UFA deals on free agency. If I were Kevin Hayes, I would just be sitting in front of my television watching these these signings go through, light up a cigar and just burn money because that's exactly what's going to happen. I would have told you two years ago Hayes would have been a $4 million guy if the Rangers didn't bridge him. Now, who knows whether or not he would have accepted a bridge deal. But even with his kind of stifled offense under the sort of oppressive system that he was put in, I think Hayes is a $6 million man. I think he could be. Hopefully he won't be. Hopefully Gordon gets him for a lot closer to $5 million. But there's a lot of talent there, and everybody knows it. And if you're going to sign him long term and you're going to lock him up, that's kind of the cost of doing business. And just like Shay, I don't think you're going to save a ton of money. You can't give Hayes a second show me contract. But nope. um, I do think there's a lot of value in Hayes right now. I think if there was a market to trade him, the Rangers would have done it already. The time has kind of passed. Everybody sort of knows what they are. Um, I, I think it's just a matter of the numbers. Now, we haven't heard any dissent from either camp, right? The Rangers aren't complaining about Hayes being unrealistic, and Hayes and his company aren't complaining about the Rangers being unrealistic, so that's always a good thing, but we're early. It's the middle of January. We got plenty of time to go. Um, So I don't know. I really don't. I don't know what's next. I I mean, again, in the grand scheme of things, these decisions, Shea and, and Hayes are important from a now and a future standpoint, but VC doesn't really matter. I mean, Spooner doesn't really matter. Um, VC is arbitration is July 30. Brady Shea is July 31. Hayes, August 2nd. And Spooner is August 4th. So Yeah, so we're going to get an answer to these questions within the next two weeks one way or another. Um, I would be very surprised if any of them went to arbitration. I think it was what? Nick Gerdev was the last New York Ranger to uh, to yeah, go through with so. arbitration, and the Rangers walked away from that contract. So that's something. Yeah, it is. It's tricky with Hayes, and in particular because you you can, if you're the Rangers, you know you can bridge deal uh, Brady Shea, uh, and even though even if it's maybe not the right move to do, and that one that's one you know I, I thought about writing an article about it for a while, but. It's a trick. It's a really tough call. Like I, I don't envy Gordon's decision on on Shea in particular, but the Kevin Hayes situation to me is uh, like this is a contract where you can really overpay, or you can, you know, find a deal that works for both sides. And I don't know. I, I look at I look at this as a huge test in part of this rebuild because Hayes is just young enough to be part of the the core you can build around. He's coming off of a tremendous year. He's really valuable. The team already has its first line center in Zabinijad, but that doesn't mean that Hayes is any less important. What makes this all the more interesting, as we've discussed before, is how many center prospects the Rangers have and whether or not that makes Hayes maybe more expendable than... We would have seen him, you know, like we would have viewed him maybe even a year ago. And yeah, he's a he's a really interesting case, and I'm I'm very curious if that Henry contract is discussed more with what Hayes is demanding, what he's asking for, and uh, you know, it's it all comes down to 
you know, patience really for for Rangers fans here. It's it's until August second. A lot of times these things just get done a couple of days before arbitration. Sometimes it's the eleventh hour. Sometimes they sign a deal like as they're going into arbitration. You know, it's you never really know. But until we hear, you know, any kind of scuttlebutt, anything that goes on in terms of like you said, we haven't heard the Rangers say the agent and Hayes' agents being unreasonable or anything like that. We'll have to kind of wait to see how things unfold. But uh, there have been a couple of, you know, RFAs signed, um, you know, this summer, but nothing really where we can point to them and say like, oh, you know, this this is a clear kind of impact or this, this is relevant to what's happening with Hayes. I don't think that's the case at all. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how the Hayes contract in particular works out because... He's he's pretty important. You know, he's kind of like a 1B center right now in terms of where he is in his career. And there's obviously plenty of teams that would love to have him. It's just, you know, can the Rangers afford to, to kind of goof this contract up? Because Hayes and his agent are going to be saying, look at all the cap space you have. And you don't have any contracts past, you know, 2020, which is a real luxury the Rangers have that... We haven't really spent too much time talking about, but it's tremendous. It's it's a huge advantage for a team that's trying to do something like a rebuild. Is you don't you know the Rangers don't have anyone signed past uh, the 2020-2021 season. So three seasons from now, it's it's Mika Zibanejad, and that's it. Yeah, you know, he's the only guy who signed beyond that that time frame. So there's a lot of room for flexibility but that also means that Hayes and his agent might be saying look at all this cap space you have what are you going to do with this this guy coming off a career year he, he's earned this money you need him part of your rebuild he's a leader they've been throwing him in interviews all summer talking about Quinn you know there's a lot of a lot of little periphery stuff around it too so I'm definitely curious to see what happens we still don't know a lot of what's going to happen, which I think is one of the more interesting aspects of being a Rangers fan right now. We we know the team is moving in the direction of development. We know the team is probably not going to be that good next year. We know there's a couple of big decisions to be made yet, but things have been so nuts that if the Rangers turn around and trade Hayes for Panarin, I wouldn't be shocked. I'm not saying that's going to happen. That's obviously just a, a speculatory um, ingest comment, but it, it you have no idea what's coming next. And really the first bad surprise that we saw is what we're going to talk about now. It's the Cody McLeod signing. Just one year, I think $750,000. It was almost like other general managers protected the Rangers from themselves the vegas kept ryan reeves the islanders went crazy and signed leo komarov and then everyone they turned around everyone. and traded matt martin and then Ro- what is it ross johnson to a four-year deal just really nuts nuts things that um you'd never really expect the rangers to lose out on if you will like the and not that the rangers had a choice because reeves never made it to free agency but you just had the sense the rangers thought they needed that toughness and character in the room and then they turn right around and they get mcleod who and this is coming from me i would have rather tanner glass than cody mcleod i mean at least glass is relatively easy to root for he's not as bad as mcleod is which again speaks volumes but like is mcleod even the 13th forward i i don't know larry brooks writes articles about how the rangers aren't quote gonna send these players out to be lambs to the slaughter and end quote and it makes you think that maybe there's a belief up top that the rangers need that 
toughness factor day in and day out. And again, we don't know how one of the things that I kind of thought about when the signing went down was my initial reaction was pretty much in response to how I would have reacted if Vigneault was still the head coach of the New York Rangers. And he's not. Um, David Quinn is. David Quinn has already talked about how important it is to have players develop the right way. I don't think McLeod is going to be, you know, sitting and taking somebody's spot the way that Glass was, but also what's the point of his inclusion? People are like, oh, he's going to get cut before the season starts. The Rangers are going to send him down. They're not. If that was the plan, they would have never signed him. They're not. What's the point? It wasn't like McLeod had offers coming from 15 different teams, and this was the offer to kind of sweeten the pot to make him come. So I just I don't and here people are making jokes. When I saw the tweet, Rangers have agreed to terms with Cody McLeod. My very first thought was, ugh, another old tweet that was retweeted to make it look like it was something new. And then I realized with horror that um, McLeod was actually traded for, not signed, and it was real. So Michael, what was your your thought on this? Well, I I want to make it pretty clear that. At the end of the day, McLeod doesn't really matter. This is a one-year deal. This is a 34-year-old enforcer in a league where enforcers no longer exist. In many ways, he's kind of one of the very, very few remaining guys of his ilk. Like, there's not a lot of guys who have gotten in as many fights, and really that's their, their main value is Cody McLeod. I mean, his his career high in a season for goals... You know, he had one crazy year in Colorado in 2008-2009 where he had 15 goals and 5 assists. And since then, you know, especially in the last the last 5 or 6 years, it's been really clear what, what his role is and, and, you know, what his kind of value is. And, you know, last season he was not really good enough to be in Nashville's lineup, as we, as we know. And, you know, the Rangers grabbed him on waivers and he played 25 games for the Rangers 39 penalty minutes and two assists and like you said I he's not taking a guy's spot my my biggest concern is like when we have these discussions Joe about whether or not it's good for Elias uh Elias Anderson to have him on the fourth line it's not going to be good for anyone uh a young kid if they're playing on a fourth line and trying to develop and Cody McLeod is on their wing. Um, and that is that is cause for concern, but really, I think we all know what the likely scenario here is going to be. It's McLeod's going to be that 13th forward who gets plugged in to kind of spark the kids, wake people up. Um, I don't love the signing, obviously. There's no reason to love it, but again, there's no reason to get really worked up. It's... it's it's, I don't know, it, it makes me question, you know, what what exactly the objective here is. But we kind of know what what this is about, right? This is, the Rangers want a guy to protect the kids, um, and that's fine. But, you know, it's it's not necessarily, you know, cutting-edge thinking, but, like, you know, why, why not, you know, just looking at who's out there right now in terms of, UFAs and like guys who you might want around kids in the locker room like why not you know fourth line uh, Joel Ward why not Lee Stempniak you know um, you know guys who have been around and, and done it all I mean neither of them are going to be guys who drop the gloves but like do you need that um, I don't know it's it's 
it's a you know and we we've heard you know Scott Hartnell and you know I know uh, Phil, the new writer for Banter. Phil is is kind of on board with the idea of Hartnell as a ranger, but um, there's there's very little positive here. <laughs> I guess is the nice way of putting it to McLeod coming back. Um, he was a new face later in the season, so you know maybe they saw something there. Maybe they liked what he brought in terms of you know those intangibles and going out and playing hard and all, all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's this seems like a you know like a little smudge on uh, on Gorton's report card here for this off season how he's handled things because. You know, does it really matter in the long run? Not at all. Is it something we can kind of quibble about and and nitpick like, well, what the hell is this for? Yeah, of course. It's just, it's kind of a useless move. But we'll see what happens. I'm not too concerned. I, I'm, I was trying to find if if there's any details about, you know, what kind of a contract it is. But there's, you know, it's a standard contract. He's 34. It is what it is. There's no, yeah, there's really no positive. I mean, the negatives can be kind of quarantined into it depends on how he's used with David Quinn. And that kind of, that tends to be the big question. You know what I mean? Like with Vigneault, we knew what the answer was. Like I said before, with Quinn, we're not totally sure. If McLeod is the 13th forward who comes on every now and again and doesn't really do anything, he's an injury replacement. I mean, sure, that spot could go to a kid, Letieri, um, Bunieves. There are a plethora of prospects that the Rangers are inevitably going to have that come in. I mean, it's just... It's a totally different conversation, and I'm not. We don't know the answer to the question yet. We no, really no. don't. We have no idea. So the the truth of the matter is, there's nothing to get worked up about yet. Maybe I mean maybe, but there's nothing to get worked up about. I am in a totally different mindset without Vigneault as the coach because. I knew what was going to happen when Vigneault was behind the bench, and we don't know what's going to happen now. And the Rangers are prioritizing player development. It's it, this is just this is the way that it goes. We, we need to give them their space to breathe. And I know I'm the same guy who wrote like a a fifteen hundred word article when the Rangers first signed Glass about how hey we need to trust Vigneault and give him a shot on this one because he earned that in 2014. And I was wrong. I was obviously very wrong. But that's not you don't know what you have yet in Quinn. Just like the people who are making jokes about how, oh, if he doesn't start KZB together, everybody's going to be mad. You can't. There's no – you need to let him do – if the Rangers are making decisions in the name of player development, which is exactly what they're doing, you cannot get angry. You can't be annoyed with the decisions they make. Until they start sacrificing that mentality for something else, you, you can't. You just can't. And that's where I stand on the matter. Uh, it's just it's the way that it goes. Um, I don't like McLeod being here. Enforcers don't deter anything. McLeod was on the ice when the New York Rangers had three players injured by Nashville Predators with unnecessary cheap shots. They don't deter anything. They don't. Re- there's no retribution. There's no nothing. If you're telling me that a player on the bench feels better because McLeod fights the other team's fighter, that has nothing to do with the game or the hit. Fine, whatever. That's an old-school hockey mentality. I'm not in the locker room. I don't know for sure. To me, Zuccarello scrapping with someone would go a hell of a lot more with, oh, God, it's on now, than it would to have McLeod do that. 
Um, you look at some of like the fancy charts of McLeod, and there's no colors on them, not even red, because he doesn't even pick up in any of the metrics. It's just not a good situation. Um, but no, if he's the 13th good. forward and he's an injury guy and he doesn't really play, so be it. Honestly, so be it. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Uh, what else did we miss, Mike? I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like we, you know, we, we know, we know Gilmore signed, and you know all the all the guys who are kind of you know, and not to be rude to them, they're all they're all valuable human beings, but kind of the smaller, you know, the small potatoes guys all signed. Um, and you know, the the other thing that we could touch on, Joe, uh, is the blue line and how it's starting to look um, with the guys who we know are going to be there. And, you know, we saw, we saw Gilmore resign. We saw Beegers resign. Uh, Shea is the only guy who really needs that contract. But like, if you look at the Rangers blue line right now, uh, including Brady Shea, what we have, Joe, is Shattenkirk, Stahl, Brendan Smith, Neil Pionk, Rob O'Gara, Anthony D'Angelo, Frederick Clayson, Stephen Kampfer, John Gilmore, and Brady Shea. Uh, for those who were not counting along with me, that's nine. Um, and not counting Shay. No, that is counting Shay. Oh, that is uh, counting Shay. Nine. No, with I'm Shea. sorry. No, nine without. Yeah, P- pretty sure it's nine with. So that's ten defensemen for yeah. seven <laughs> slots. And there's a lot of there's a whole lot of uh, third pair in there, and not a lot else. But again, like let's be realistic. They're, they didn't make a signing in free agency to, like, fix the defense because the right answer for fixing this defense is developing this defense. And we also didn't mention in that list Ryan Lindgren and Libor Hayek and uh, Sean Day and guys who have a chance at making some noise in training camp and, and forcing the Rangers' hand. And that is really interesting to see how the hell all this is going to shake out um, especially in regards to whatever the hell happens with Brendan Smith, and especially in regards to a lot of these guys who are kind of bubble guys. Like, it's very hard to tell what the front office thinks of Neil Pionk or Gilmore um, or Camphor, because Camphor was kind of, in many ways, Vino's guy. Um, but he was also, you know, Gorton brought him here in a trade, and, you know, he stayed with the club. And, you know, he played over D'Angelo a whole bunch until, you know, he got hurt and all of that. But, you know, like, where the, where the hell does Clayson fit into this? And, you know, it's, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a little bit of a mess. But my, my biggest takeaway from all this, Joe, before I hear your thoughts on it, is competition's not a bad thing. Especially among a lot of guys who are 25 and under. Because... Among the guys who are 25 and under, Pionk is 22, O'Gara 25, D'Angelo 22, Clayson 25, Gilmore 25, Brady Shea 24, and obviously all the kids are, are you know, Libor and Ryan Lindgren are really young. So that's not bad. Competition's good. You want that. You want you want that to happen. It's also definitely worth mentioning that the Wolfpack's D was decimated by all, everything the Rangers did last season. So. A bunch of these guys could end up being in Hartford, including O'Gara, um, and even, you know, Gilmore. Um, it's, and I'm kind of hoping Camphor, but we'll have to see how this all shakes out, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of roles open. Like, really, it's, you know, Brady Shea 
Mark Stahl and Kevin Shattenkirk are the guys who, like, you know, they have their jobs. You know what I mean? But beyond that, everyone else is either trying to prove themselves or trying to earn a job. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a mess. It's a mess, but it's it's an interesting mess because, and again, I'm going to use the same terminology like I just did with McLeod. You don't know how Quinn is going to use his defenseman. Maybe Stahl is the seventh defenseman. Honestly, if you're going to eat the contract anyway, who knows? I doubt it too, but you you have no idea. You really don't. And I'm not I'm not going to be in this look. You know Shea, Shattenkirk are going to be in the top four. I think if Smith comes back into quote-unquote form, he's going to be in the top four. The question then becomes, you need to know what you have in D'Angelo. Pionk looks like he deserves a shot, but who knows. Um, Gilmore, I think, was everybody's, oh, that guy's going to be on the team next year. Now we don't know because of Pionk. But again, I don't think Pionk is going to um, replicate the season he had last year. O'Gara really shouldn't be in the NHL. Um who am I missing? Um, there's so many of them now. Well, there's Camper, there's Clayson. Right, Camper's not going to be there. Clayson has to be at least the seventh defenseman, right? Otherwise, why go out and get him? Johnny and Gilmore, Brendan We're not Smith. even talking about Lindgren. And, well, Lindgren's actually a bad example because I really don't see an NHL future for him. But we're not even talking about uh, Hayek and Day and Rikoff. We're not even talking about any of those guys, and those guys are are the future. So, yeah, the next this year is going to be interesting, just in terms of you know what is it exactly that we're going to get on defense, which is clearly the Rangers' weak spot, but at least everybody knows it now, and it's a it's a youthful weak spot instead of this overpaid weak spot. But it's a proving ground. I, I don't know. I think we're going to get a really good look at what Brady Shea is, and that's why I'm sort of nervous to not give him the contract long-term extension that I want the Rangers to because you're you're walking down a very dangerous – if he proves that he is a, a borderline first-line – borderline first-pairing defenseman, it's a dangerous road to walk down because that contract becomes enormous, and you want to avoid that. We've talked at length about that. I – Pionk is, I don't know if he's an NHL defenseman long-term. We can't. Yeah, O'Gara so certainly of, isn't. Yeah. Gilmore, I don't know. But Hartford so, needs defensemen too. So much of what we saw last season, like Pionk kind of standing out among a pile of dog crap. It's like, well, we we have to surround that with the context it came in. Like, you have to attach the asterisk of, you know, well, he he looked good, even though, yeah, his metrics were terrible. But, like, he exceeded expectations, but... How valuable is that on a blue line that was falling apart and full of problems and poorly coached? Like you kind of have to throw that out. Like he, like everyone, really, he has to start from scratch. Like he has to kind of reestablish himself, and that's not going to be easy to do. Granted, I hope he turns out because if if the Rangers have found like a third pairing left side D in Neil Pionk, you know, who's a college free agent, like that's great. It's great when you find guys like that, you know, affordable guys, but it's very premature to chalk him in into the second pair and say like, oh, look, we got Pionk here for the future. It's like, no, that can't, we need to kind of prove what the hell he is. You know, he's, you know, just like, you know, it's it's important to note, he and D'Angelo are the same age right now. And, you know, we we all already have these thoughts about, you know, is D'Angelo still really a prospect? Does he have to prove himself? Like, it's all true of Pionk as well. They've just taken very, very, very different paths to, you know, this upcoming training camp. Um, 
But my my biggest guy I'm watching is D'Angelo in all of this. He's the guy who he could really, really be an incredibly valuable part of this rebuild and you know can kind of change a lot of minds or this new tremendous opportunity with a new coach and so many coaches as i mentioned at the top of the show so many coaches with experience working with d and developing d you know he he's it's almost an ideal scenario for him he gets a fresh start after getting you know jerked around and then getting hurt when he needed to shine the most and kind of was shining yeah, and I mean, this, let's, this is we, tremendous for him. You can't walk away from that. You can't walk away from the fact that D'Angelo was playing the best hockey of his career. Yeah, when, I, I wrote the report card on him, and I think, and like the underlying numbers were really, really encouraging for the type of player he's expected to be. And that's not something to, you know, like poo-poo away. You know, even though I just said you have to kind of throw away you know, Pionk's performance, but to see to see D'Angelo do what he did, and D'Angelo, by the way, was absolutely mired with who he was paired with. He played with O'Gara a bunch, you know, he did not have an ideal scenario, you know, he was not an enviable spot for him to be in, and he did really well, you know, according to, you know, the analytics and really the eye test, he, he made those high-risk, high-reward plays, when he made mistakes, they were glaring. But when everyone that plays that style makes mistakes, they're glaring. You know, it, it happens to Drew Doughty. It happens to Eric Carlson. It just happens a little bit less, and they make the big plays a little bit more often. And that's why people are talking about them making $11 million a year. And that's if the Rangers can find a guy, especially a guy on the right side in D'Angelo, who's still 22, and it's really important to note D always take a little bit longer to develop than we'd like to think they do, especially when compared to forwards and, you know, goalies. Who the hell knows what goalie development is really like? We're still learning so much about how goalies develop and how to predict NHL success in goalies is is pretty close to, like, mysticism. You need, you know, a fortune teller to figure out how that all works. But D'Angelo has so many of the right tools. It just comes down to, I think the mental aspect of the game and his maturity level. And maybe Quinn is the right guy for that. You know, with all the talk we've heard about accountability and all that stuff, I hope that expands to what goes on off the ice and attitude and preparation and, and getting a guy like D'Angelo on the right track, because this is a huge for him. He could be, he could very easily find himself trying, you know, starting the season on the second pair on the right side if everything goes his way like you know what's stopping that from happening is it's really only himself so we'll have to see d'angelo represents such a a boomer bust option for the new york rangers right now that i don't even know i don't know how to quantify it because there is as much as everybody looks at it and they're like he sucks there is a player in there who was so lights out in I mean, just they're brimming with talent and potential. Um, who may or may not hit, you know, his potential. 
And there's a lot of guys that don't, but you have to take the risk on him. To write off D'Angelo now, Derek Stepan trade aside, would be insanity in my view, especially because you Absolutely, have a coach yeah. coming in now who's made it a point, who can develop defensemen, but who's made it a point that he needs to develop players that did not get a fair shake under Vigneault. And D'Angelo was certainly one of those players. So, yeah. Does he make the team, Joe? Yeah, I, I can't. I don't see how he doesn't. I have no idea. No no clue whatsoever. Is Clayson on the third pair? Is he 7D? Right now, I think he's your 7D, but I'm not sure. I think what happens with Clayson is directly tied to whatever the hell happens with Brendan Smith. I think so, too. And I also think the Mark Stahl situation is... Uh, I think that's going to be a big deciding factor here, too. Is he going to be used the way that we think he is, or... Is he going to be used kind of as the seventh defenseman? And, yeah. I think he has a great chance of sticking around. I wrote an article about it because he's been around forever. Uh, Whatever problems you might have with his game and how his game has kind of regressed, how he hasn't been the same since that horrible eye injury and the concussion and all of that. Like, he's, if nothing else, he's been a pretty good soldier in New York. Um, Yeah. And... In terms of like a pro and a guy who handles like New York well and and deals with all that stuff well and you know has has been a subject of criticism and also a very popular player to some players, he can pass on pass along a lot of valuable, a lot of that like off the ice leadership stuff. The mentor, as you called him. Yeah, I think that's a good fit for him. Me and, too. You know, you can't. It makes no sense to buy him out. That window's already no. gone anyway. Um. It doesn't make any sense to move on from it. Also, I think it's a tough pill to swallow, you know, the $5.7 million as your 7th D. I think you say, yeah, we're paying him, so we're going to play him. You, you know, you fit him in wherever he fits in. And you let him continue to wear the, the you know, the letter on his sweater because it's starting to get to the point where, ah, will this team even have a captain next season? Because the Rangers are also one of those teams that doesn't rush into that. They don't throw around the captain kind of team. feels like they're yeah. they're making Kreider the public face of the team so I do wonder if he's not the guy I wonder that too but as we talked about on last show he's a guy who is signed for two more years right and then he's a UFA in 2020 yeah. and he'll be a 29 year old UFA in 2020 so that in particular is kind of a worth taking a closer look on but he does appear to be the guy who they want to put in front of the camera and, and address the media and stuff like that so you know he's a crides is another kind of important example of of the bridge deal and uh the pros and cons of it right he's a two-year bridge deal for a 2.475 cap hit and then the rangers finally you know signed him to a four-year deal um to what has turned out to be a re- really reasonable contract, but it was also not a tremendously long contract. You know, it was a four-year deal for $18.5 million, and he'll still be in his prime when it's done. He'll be 29. Yeah. Uh, there's... Oh, boy, we have so many questions that we don't have the answer to, but it, hopefully that changes soon. I mean... Well, it's July. It's July. We really, but normally we have like something of an idea, right, of what we're walking into, and uh, we have nothing right now. Absolutely nothing. Questions. 
You ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Dave Rogers. Do you like keeping rough for someone with extensive league experience for balance? Didn't have to be him, but I like it conceptually. I think we answered that question. We also answered Michael Silver's let's assume 18, 22, and 76, which is Stahl, Shattenkirk, and Shea are locks to start the season on the blue line. Would it be fair to suggest that despite their current contract or how they got to New York, the other three spots should be an open competition and training camp and maybe the best man win? So where that's a little bit different is to an extent, Yes, but like if Smith returns to form, he's easily the best defenseman of everybody that's left. And if you're not just going to throw this open competition, like, yeah, you you need to see what you have in D'Angelo. I'm sorry. You can't just say, hey, no, we're not, you know, no, D'Angelo, you don't get the leg up. You need to see what you have in him. I mean, that's really, that's my response to that. Yeah, I agree with you. To to touch on that first question with with Ruff, I know we we covered it all, but yeah, I, I don't mind that it's him would have been great if it was someone else sure but it makes a lot of sense why he's here he was already he was already signed the rangers had him he's familiar with the team he's familiar with a lot of the guys that who have been here it's it is what it is uh would i have preferred it would be someone else sure can i name other people not without doing a lot of reading and research so yeah it is what it is and like i said with the with the d competition's good what i want to see happen is that everyone outside of those three guys i named you know, Stahl, Shattenkirk, and Shea is in a position where they really have to prove themselves and earn it. Like, everyone should start at zero. It's a new coach. It's a new philosophy. It's a new team. And everyone, like, regardless of their age, regardless of, uh, you know, their pedigree or how, you know, heralded or unheralded they may be, they have to earn those final four spots on that blue line. Um, Because we have those three spots filled, right, just depending on that Shea contract. and right. Then you need your seventh D and, you know, your your bottom pair and the other guy who's on the second pair, who I think you and I both are expecting and hoping that's Brendan Smith. But, you know, in all honesty, Smith's got to earn it. Uh, I, I'm ho- I hope he does. I know he's, you know, we've heard, you know, some murmuring that it's going well in terms of him getting his, uh, his conditioning back where it has to be. Well, it would be insane if it wasn't. It would be insane if he didn't come back to camp so, yeah. so just cut and toned and yeah. in shape. He has he has to come back in, you know, Hugh Jackman Wolverine shape. But it is what it is with Smith. But like you said, he's he's the only guy of that group who's really kind of proven he can, you know, play, you know, that top four role at the NHL level. And he's a guy who can really be an important part of this team. You know, he's been around. You know, he's a he's a veteran. Um, you know, he's he was the Rangers NHLPA rep. Uh, you know, briefly, but he's also, you know, he's a guy who's engaged in a lot of that stuff. And it's a good thing to have. Yeah. And that a guy who cares about all that stuff is a great thing to have around the kids, even though he had this slip up with his conditioning and, you know, the stuff we heard and who the hell knows what happened between him and Letary in that fight with the Wolfpack. But, you know, it's, I don't think it's fair to say that either Smith or Letary is like a, is a locker room, a bad thing in the locker room. Yeah. This is, it's, it's shit like that happens when you're a bad team and, and, and you're struggling. And as much as I want, as much as Smith needs to take a lion's share of the blame, I don't think his situation was handled well by the Rangers. No, I don't think so either. Uh, as, as much as specifically Vigneault, I would yes, say. Yes, as much as the Rangers, uh, as much as he is at fault, I don't think the Rangers handle that situation well. 
Josh Zarkin, do you expect any Rangers to get to arbitration? For me, it's only Ooh. Spooner. I can't. I, I, there's you cannot let Shea or, or Hayes go to arbitration. Um, there's really no reason for VC to go to arbitration unless he's playing a crazy highball game. Because um, if the Rangers were offering a long-term contract, it would have been signed by now. Spooner is the only one because I think the Rangers have to play hardball and keep him for a year or two. That's it. I agree. Uh, of of the other guys, who do you think is the most likely? Out of what? The other guys? Yeah, so like we'll say Spooner is the most likely. Who of VC, Shea, and Hayes do you think is second most likely? VC, because there's no you just you can't you can't let Shea or, or Hayes go. You can't. You you, you just you, there's no way. Unless there's no way. That I would say that VC would have like the least logical purpose of going because Hayes and Shea could demand a lot of money and the Rangers might be fighting it off, you know what I mean, and continuing to lowball them. But there's no you can't let them get to arbitration. It just it doesn't make sense in any way, shape, or form. Uh, yeah, I, I align with that. I feel that. Yeah. Align with it right now. Um, no, that's all the questions. So, Michael, I have a question. Okay. Favorite memories in these first 100 episodes of our our young, blossoming podcast career? Uh, It's recent, but particularly was pretty good. Um, Animal facts. I think I like those more than anyone. For those who hate them, I don't really apologize, but the the amount of things we've learned about manatees and cassowaries and... Uh, all sorts of, all sorts. The of, squirrels uh, of the sea. The squirrels of the sea, manatees. Yeah. Um, butter off of a duck from Beth. Uh, Beth licking Brady Shay. The time you left me alone on the show during the. the yeah, that that moment, and I apologize. The- my sister just started vacuuming. Um, that moment is without a doubt my favorite podcast moment of all time. And to re- I think I've told the story on the podcast before, but I'll tell it again. Before we started going to recording, we would all hop on the show live, and there was like a waiting room for the hosts and the guests on Blog Talk Radio, and we would sit there and we would chat with one another. And in our ever-present attempts to make the show sound better, we got new microphones and we got Skype subscriptions and all this stuff. So when Mike and Beth would call in before the show would start, you had to call in before 15 minutes before. It couldn't be... 20 minutes before, it had to be 15 minutes or sooner. <laughs> we would call in and we would all chat about what we were going to talk about on the show or, you know, whatever else. The numbers for Skype don't show up as a telephone number. It shows up as 111-111-1111, and that's it. So I get a call, and I assume it's Beth, and Mike and I have already been speaking. And I say to Mike, Mike, uh, yeah, give me one minute. I, I'm Beth is here. I have to go do something. I don't think the baby was born yet, so I don't know what I had to do. So I, I put the person in. And I go, I do whatever I'm doing, and five minutes later I come back, and I'm expecting to hear Mike and Beth talking about whatever it is they're talking about. Instead, I hear, I'm back, I'm like, hey guys, and Mike goes, Joe, you let me introduce you to my friend from the Philippines. And it was a Filipino doctor who apparently listens to every single show and was just calling into the show to say how much he loved us. And to listen in, because that's <laughs> and what how makes he likes this, to listen I don't know if you guys know Mike. 
Micah loves curveballs. He loves oh, curveballs. He absolutely adores being thrown off and something happening that was not planned. And just the panic in his voice as he was like, Joe, let me introduce you to my friend. Easily, easily my favorite moment on this podcast. The, and it is closely followed by the story of you with the dog, which uh, I still think is one of the funniest stories I've ever heard in my life. So Shaking those pennies. Shaking the pennies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just, I don't... Uh, there's there's been a lot of great memories. We've had a lot of fun. I know these recent podcasts have been just me and Mike. We're gonna get Tom back. We're gonna get Shana back. We're gonna get Beth back um, as we go through the season. But you know, a hundred episodes doesn't happen if there's no support for an episode, um, and if there's no pool for you guys to continue to support us. So um, we really appreciate them not to get sappy, but these hundred episodes don't happen without you, the listeners, please go to iTunes, give us five stars, leave a nice comment. Um, donate to the Patreon. If you can, patreon.com slash blue shirt banter. We've already used it to, uh, subscribe to, uh, what's it called? Skype. We have new microphones because of it. We moved to a new recording platform because the blog talk radio live, um, just the voice, the audio was atrocious. Um, it's helped us kind of keep from loading up a show with advertisements that I don't think you guys would really want. Um, I, I just, there's a lot to the behind the scenes stuff that we are capable of doing um, because of the Patreon support. So thank you so much for all of that. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's about as sappy as I'm going to get, Mike. What about you? How sappy do you want to get? It sure does mean a lot that everyone listens to us ramble about the Rangers. But no, it's great. About it's, us uh, bantering the Rangers. Yeah, oftentimes this is my, my highlight of the week is, uh, you know, this hour and change where lately it's just been you and I. Because uh, Beth... Sexually. Beth, yeah, gets a little sexual. Uh, you know, but Beth has been... For those who don't know, Beth is a professor. Um, she's smarter than us by a lot. Um, and she's been enjoying her vacation. She also has kids. She has a lot of stuff. And she's still trying to get a microphone that works and all that good stuff. And lately, Joe and I, it's been its been a little fun to just do you and me. But I'm looking forward to when we have the, uh, the full team back together. I love how intimate it is between us. John J. Porter, Anthony Viola, Alex Gardner, John Reppy, Johnny Alo, Alex Ricard, Guy from Montana, Daniel DeGem, Eric Cohn, Matt Bader, 50, Tall Guy Robert, Fancy Lawrence, Keith Franchillo, Andre Chicagoff, Chris Habibi, Danny Santiago, Gabriel Vargas, James Dangles, David L. Singer, Grumpy Smokey, Mike Offit, Chris B., Bob Kawa, Stink Fleeman, Arch Williams, Igor Zatlovsky, Zachary Zetlin, Dan Carosi, Thomas Osa, Trevor Kepner, and Michael Silvers. They all donate. So thank you. You guys should also donate. Patreon.com slash Blue Shirt Banter. Thank you all. So everyone who's ever told anyone about the bot podcast or every time you listen to it, you share it. Yeah, tell it, a friend anytime stuff. that you've shared it. Yeah, it's, retweet it. It's listen a big to it. Help. Thank you very much. The iTunes thing is serious, too, because it helps people find us. Um... That goes a really long way, and yeah, I mean, the general support. Like I said, we don't do this without you guys supporting the show. If nobody listened, we wouldn't do it. So, thank you all, and um, yeah. Joe, how many goals does Chris Kreider score next year? 32. You're full of shit. No, I'm going high. How Why? Goals? How many do you think he scores? Uh, I don't want to say. Say it right now. 
23. Oh, boy. You're just negative Mike over here now. Negative Mike. Um, all right. You guys rock. Mike is a whale. A baleen whale. <laughs>